0: Hi, I'm Erin Hartz. Welcome to Grace Plus Boundaries, a weekly memoir in a podcast. I've realized through the past decade of my recovery that I learn the most about emotional maturity through listening to the triumphant stories of others. Are you yearning to unpack the effects of intergenerational trauma in your life? Do you want to stay true to your feelings yet also learn how to accommodate the sensibilities of your loved ones? I'm dedicated to cracking the code of combining boundary setting with grace towards one another. Educate, evaluate, and evolve. Let's do this together. Hi, welcome to another episode of Self-Care for Survivors of Trauma. So, I'm on this dating series right now, and I'm gonna go way back to when I first started dating after my divorce. And today is our dating death trap number one. I'm gonna talk about how believing words over actions was a death trap for me. So, back then, what was this, six or seven years ago, I was just so incredibly codependent that I could not make sense of the difference between what a person is saying and how divergent their actions can be. Like when those two things don't match up nowadays, I can see that a lot quicker, those red flags. But that back then I believed people's words. I just was in that mode. I I think I was trained and conditioned to be that way when I was a kid that, you know, believing everything my parents said, I had to believe they were right. And if their actions didn't match up, it didn't matter back then, right? Because I was supposed to do what they said, no matter what. So I wasn't able to go back and say, hey, wait a second, you said this yesterday, and then you did this, and that's hypocritical or whatever. So I didn't develop that skill of being able to stand up for myself or point out when things didn't match up. So here I was, um, you know, under 40, I think I was like 38, maybe or something. And I'm dating after I got divorced. And or I guess I was still in the middle of being separated, Um, and I hadn't learned that skill. So I'm dating someone, and they could just tell me whatever they wanted to tell me, and I would kind of allow for them. I gave a huge amount of benefit of the doubt, let's say. I was way too nice about that kind of thing. I mean, that's not even nice. That's just being a victim, really. So, this story, you know, it has victim written all over it. And I can see that now, thankfully. And it's a little embarrassing in that sense for me. But on the other hand, I can see how far I've come by thinking about this. And I, that's why I wanted to tell it to you because back then I was so lost. I did not know where to go, what to do, who to date, um, who not to date, that kind of thing. And it took me a long time to learn those skills and to start noticing things. So I think that's why I'm focusing on the matching actions with words so much because it's not just with this dating relationship that I fouled up. This was probably the biggest example of that, but as time went on, I still had to learn that a few other times in luckily a little bit smaller ways than this one. So about a couple weeks ago, I was uh, dating this woman And she reminded me, she wasn't the same as this person I dated in the past, but she reminded me of this woman I went out with when I lived on the East Coast. I was going through my divorce then, living with my ex-husband in um, a townhouse so that we were living on separate floors and stuff. We were not together. Um, But this, I had a date with this woman then and we became friends because I didn't want to date her. I didn't feel that way about her. But she was like, let's just be friends. So I was reminded of this because I was dating someone right now that just something about her really reminded me of this other woman. And so I brought it up to my therapist a couple weeks ago and I was like, I'm not going to be able to move forward with this new woman if I keep thinking she's like this other person when they're not alike at all, but just there is something about them, you know, and I guess it's just the way trauma kind of works is it's like we have an experience in our present time that triggers that feeling from the past that hasn't been healed so this was an exact example of that I'm dating someone in the present and there's something they do or say or look like or something that reminds me and triggers me into that pain of the past so I did some processing with my therapist surrounding this woman from the past and I was able to talk about it with such clarity now. I think I had brought it up to my therapist a few years ago, and I don't think I told the story as clearly then. I know we didn't do any processing on it back then, so this time I really think we got to the root of it. Um, that's kind of the story I'm going to tell you today because it was very healing for me, and if I can save anyone else the pain of going through what I went through, that was really a painful experience, this one that I'm going to talk about today, so i um, here we go. All right, so let's see, I, seven years ago or so, I, 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 as I said, I was living on the East Coast. My son was about three years old, and I was a full-time mom, and at that time, my ex and I had tried to get back together, but it didn't work, and we had made plans to for me to move back to the West Coast where we came from and where all our family was and stuff like that, I just couldn't keep living on the East Coast with less friends and and, um, not support and my family not being there and all that. So I knew that I was moving soon. I knew for sure that I was not going to stay with my ex-husband. I had filed for divorce that November. We tried to get back together once I lived on the East Coast with him, and it was really rocky He tried to get me to buy a house with him during that time on the East Coast to try and settle me there, and thank goodness I didn't say yes to that plan. It was really hard, though. He put me through a lot of emotional turmoil and a lot of verbal abuse in saying that I needed to do this or that. And um, Luckily, I started going to my support group for codependency then, and I was able to kind of keep one foot propped out of the door during that time and able to have an hour a week at my support group where I could talk about these things and people understood what I was going through. Um, So during this time, I did date a couple people. I think in my last episode, I mentioned I dated someone a couple dates and, and like, how could I possibly have found someone at that time that was a good person since I was in such utter chaos in my life and such turmoil I was really in crisis mode, and that is not a place to meet a healthy partner at all. But I didn't know this back then, and I didn't really know how unhealthy I was back then. I really just felt like I was leaving my abusive partner and that I just needed a little time to recoup, but that I was a healthy-ish person which, you know, I think there was that inside me, but I had to learn a lot of skills over the next six years to really become that healthy person that I feel like I finally am now. So I was in chaos, I was in turmoil, and after dating that guy for a couple dates and then it didn't work out, um, I also went on a date with this woman. Um, I'll call her Amanda. That's not her name, but uh, we'll pretend. And so I went out with Amanda and... I didn't feel any attraction towards her. So we enjoyed talking, though, and she lived really close to me. So her townhouse that she owned was a couple blocks away from my townhouse. So that made it convenient to get together and stuff. And she and I both like to eat vegan food. So she ended up being like, let's be friends, and we'll just like go to different vegan places around the area and hang out. And I, I needed a friend then. I only had her, and then I did meet... A friend from my son's preschool and she was a great friend with kids my son's age and she was wonderful I'm still friends with her um, but so this was like my kind of my second friend that I had met in the area you know I was I was just so vulnerable then okay so this woman let's be friends I'm like okay you know and there's my first mistake right like Maybe because now I don't want to be friends with anybody that I dated. I get that. Like, even if it's a couple dates, I don't need a friend that is either attracted to me and I'm not to them or vice versa. Like, it kind of is a sticky situation being friends with somebody you dated. Like, I do have like one person I dated that I'm kind of friends with, but it's a sticky situation. And I kind of stop myself from from talking to him on Facebook because it's just yeah, that's a whole different story. So I decided to be friends, quote-unquote, with her, and we would go out. And while we were going out to dinner and stuff, she would always be talking about sex. She loved talking about sex. Um, She would tell me about things in her past. She was kind of like an exhibitionist-type person that she liked to go to, like, nudist colonies. Or I don't even know if that's what it's called, but she... Um, she liked to go somewhere where they were nude for the weekend or whatever. She'd been to a few things like this, and um, she was just kind of a free spirit. And, you know, I enjoy that kind of free spiritness, and I think I was intrigued by her stories, and that's why I kind of allowed it to keep going on. And so there's a point, a touch point, too. So one of the things they say in adult children of alcoholics is that, If we have some unhealthy patterns in our childhood, um, one of them could be that we are attracted to excitement. And this is an example of that for me, that I wasn't going to go off and do those kind of things because I'm too introverted and I wouldn't ever do that bold kind of stuff. But I kind of lived vicariously through friends who would try out these bold things. I enjoyed some, I don't know, excitement because of that. Like, I'm attracted to excitement. Um, Another example of that is like just the shows that I would watch would be very dramatic and like, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians, that kind of stuff. Like, I was really drawn to that kind of stuff back then, like that dramatic type stuff. And like nowadays that doesn't appeal to me anymore. Like I don't want that type of drama in my life. That just is how I've evolved on my journey. So she would talk about all this stuff and um, I wouldn't say she was necessarily flirting with me, but it was just kind of suggestive. And I even mentioned it to her one time, like, Hey, you know, you talk about sex a lot. Like what's up with that? And, Oh, I don't, I'm not hitting on you. that, you know, and so there's the actions not matching up with the words, right? Because if you open up the topic of sex, like in a big way with someone, I mean, that there's no question that that is some kind of advance at the person that you're with. So now I see that more black and white in a good way. Like, this is a red flag if I hear someone just all the time bringing up sex and how that is, and yada yada. So it, the. The spring went on, and we were friends for, I don't know, four months or so, got together once in a while. And then came up May, and I was going to move really soon. It was like two weeks until I was about ready to move back to the West Coast, and it was my birthday. So I decided, let's go out. So Amanda said, um, yeah, let's go out in the city. Um, I'll drive, I'll be DD, and we'll go out for your birthday. It'll be really fun. We'll go to some gay clubs that I know there. And I was kind of new to that thing, so I thought, yeah, that would be really fun. Let's go to some gay bars and um, just I get to sample that type of of stuff. So I set it up where you know my ex was taking care of our son, and um, Amanda said, why don't you spend the night at my house that night, and then you know you don't have to go home all late and stuff like that. And I was like, "Well, okay, you know?" And she's like, "Do you want to sleep in my room or do you want to sleep in the guest bedroom?" And I was like, "Oh, I definitely want to sleep in the guest bedroom. I'm not I'm not interested in that, you know, stuff like that." So I was very direct. I did not say and she, that I wanted to be in the same room as her, and she said, "Okay." All right. So we go out And she doesn't drink very much because she's DD or because she doesn't want to or whatever. And I end up drinking a lot and getting pretty drunk. And one thing leads to the other when we get back home to her house and we end up sleeping together. And I guess I will add that she was definitely the one to make the first move. um, And you know it felt good i felt good kissing her so i kind of went with it and i was definitely drunk um i'm not like blackout drunk but i was dr- i was pretty wasted so um i wake up the next morning and i feel like complete shit and um i was just like oh my god this is disgusting and i felt disgusting but back then i really wasn't in touch with my emotions or able to share them the way i am now not able to share them even with myself, right? So I was, so instead of leaving her house right when I woke up, which now would be something I would do if I ever got myself into such a horrible predicament again, I ignored my feelings and I put on the I'm happy face and I was just pretending to be happy and feeling okay about the situation, even though inside I felt like I was crawling out of my skin because I was so disgusted with myself that I would sleep with this person that I didn't even like in that way at all. And um, so she and I ended up going out to breakfast and talking, and I mean, throughout the whole breakfast, I just felt disgusting. I was totally self-abandoning, and who knows on her side what she was doing. I mean, she was probably pretending too, like she got what she wanted she slept with me which is what she wanted I'm assuming now looking back and she was pretending too. like we were pretending like we were going to have this relationship or something I mean we didn't say that but like the, the whole act of us going out to breakfast as if we're like this happy couple in a way was really ridiculous and so you know we said goodbye and after that I just felt like oh my god I feel really taken advantage of um, so I was able to be in touch with my feelings a little bit, and I really did kind of blame myself, though, and I, I do think there is a part of it, certainly, that is my fault, and I I really looked at that. One was I knew at that point that I really should not drink on a date ever, um, or, yeah, so I think after that I was like, yeah, I probably should never drink if, if there's a possibility of going out with somebody in a romantic way. Um, that's one thing. So that's kind of one of the first times I started realizing that I might have an issue with drinking. And the second thing was I I could see that I had missed the warning signs and she was a, not a trustworthy person. And I kind of walked into it. You know, I can see that. But as I talked with my therapist about this a few weeks ago, She helped me really clarify the fact that this Amanda chick, she totally knew what she was doing. She totally set this up. She took advantage of me when I was in a crisis situation. She she was kind of my only friend. She lived close to me. I kind of um, leaned on her a little bit going through the turmoil of leaving my abusive partner, being scared of my abusive partner. I even had kept a suitcase with a few of my son and my things in it just in case me and my son needed to go back to leave if my ex got crazy, um, which I don't, now I'm like, what did that, why did I even do that? But I was really scared that my ex was just going to flare up all of a sudden and freak out since I was moving across the country with our son. Like I kind of worried that he was just going to like take him away one evening or try to kidnap him or I mean that sounds kind of dumb to me now because I don't know if that would have ever it would have ever gotten that bad but there was a fear in me that I didn't know what was happening and my point in saying that is that this Amanda girl she really took advantage of that you know she really took advantage of my vulnerability and in some ways that wasn't my fault she was a predator in that way where she wasn't watching her actions, She didn't care about my feelings. She did use me in that way. So I think I texted her that night, and I was like, I feel kind of like you set this up, and um, I feel bad about what happened, and I don't want to talk to you anymore. And she came back with that I used her because I wanted to have sex with a woman, and she doesn't like being taken advantage of, and she totally twisted it around. And um, back then, you know, I wasn't 100% sure who is right and who is wrong, and I kind of went with it and just went, well, you know, I have some things to learn here for myself, and I took those lessons with me, thankfully, and I was able to move on, but as I talked with my therapist about it last week, she was like, well, no, she totally took advantage of you. You know, any person that's healthy would never do that. Get someone drunk, like, kind of on purpose, and when they're in a crisis situation, and then, you know, lure them into bed. So, That's what happened there. And you can see how I did not look at the red flags of all this sex talk, of this person saying, Oh, you should sleep in my room. Um, I mean, now I would so not fall into that trap, thank goodness. But it's really tempting when we're there and we're needy, and I needed emotional support, and she was kind of willing to give it in some way. And it mirrors the amount, the type of support that I took. When I was a child, with the my best friend who abused, who molested me, that that was the only kind of attention I knew how to get was sexual attention, and when I was in those desperate places, that's what I grasped for, and I think this was just um, an example of that. So I hope you got something out of that story. I know I've learned so much about my ability to be a victim and. My ability now to choose what situations I put myself in and really play the tape forward to see how is this going to play out if I spend the night at this person's house who always talks about sex. You know, if this was a man, I probably would have been super pissed off and I would have gotten a lot of people mad at me, mad with me. Um, I mean, I think I would have taken it really differently, but since it was a woman that was predatory, I you know, didn't have really a way to react or talk about it. And I think I was just so, so ashamed of the whole thing, too, because I can see how I really walked into a trap. Um, but, you know, lesson learned. And thankfully, I won't do something like that again. So I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about this and let me know what you're thinking. Find me on Instagram. You can always text me there and I'll text you back. All right. Take care, survivors. You deserve a big high five and a smile in the mirror for showing up for yourself today. Thank you for your dedication to introspection and self-awareness because our personal evolution is what will make this world a better place. If you enjoyed the episode, please give me a five-star review and share it with a friend. And let me know if you want to be a guest to share how you are navigating intergenerational trauma in your life. You're welcome to join my free monthly goal-setting workshop, on the first Wednesday of every month, just DM me at I Aaron.